How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the technical area. I'm Ben Cohen. I'm joined here again by Josh Banks. How's it going, man? Uh, it's going well. How about you? Pretty good, except I realized that last week we talked about Arsenal a fair bit. And we're going to have to talk about them again. We can't for too long, but, but what was going on against Brighton? The question is, what wasn't going on? Arsenal... Oh. I mean, I don't know if you saw it, but for our listeners, I would highly recommend if you are a non-Arsenal fan to go onto Arsenal Fan TV on YouTube. There is some high-quality content in terms of uh, the banter category, I would say. And let me just tell you, this weekend was absolutely amazing and for rival fans. Um, yeah, I mean, Mope injures Leno in what, around the 30th minute? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and then comes back to score a last-minute winner. I mean, it's just Arsenal in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, and we should we should get to that that Mope incident. I think uh, there are a lot of Arsenal fans talking about um, whether it's on purpose, and I, I think we can sort of agree that, that Mope has a right to go for the ball, and, and it's sort of unfortunate what happened, and it's definitely a foul because Leno won out. Um, and it, it's maybe even a yellow card, you know, depending on, on how the game's been refed. But... Um, at the end of the day, uh, it's just unfortunate what happened to Leno, both from an Arsenal perspective, because along with Aubameyang, he's probably been their best player this season. Um, he kept them in the game for half an hour against Man City until David Luiz, well, David Luiz. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for Arsenal, like, I say after this we move on, because honestly, last podcast we talked about Arsenal so much, like you said, and also we just highlighted everything that's wrong with the club at the moment. But Arsenal, it's just, uh, I mean, it says it all when your second best player is your goalkeeper. Like, that is a big, big problem. And now that you've lost him, I mean, I think Arsenal could genuinely finish in the bottom half. And I I, I really don't know what to make of it, honestly. They're there right now, are they not? I I believe they're 10th right now. Um, Yeah, they are. But... With Arsenal, it's just, it, it's amazing to th- think that this was a team that once went invincible a ty- an entire season, and now they can't beat Brighton. Um, and I, I don't really think I've seen a bigger regression in football history in terms of club and the way that they used to be and the way that they are now. I mean, we've seen AC Milan be poor. We've seen, you know, other various um, Italian sides especially kind of fall off a bit Inter as well in recent times, but nowhere near to the extent in my opinion of Arsenal and if you're an Arsenal fan I mean I just like to say I'm sorry like (laughs) it must be hard what you're going through right now um and the hardest part about it is it doesn't seem like there's any light at the end at the end of the tunnel anytime soon yeah I would made me think that it would be really fun to do a segment sometime in the future going in depth into some of the teams that have had crazy histories and and have have regressed a lot and and Arsenal would definitely feature and probably as you said be at the top of that list right um moving on I want to quickly touch on on Norwich losing to Southampton three nothing just because Norwich have a tough schedule ahead and Southampton at home was their sort of chance to to cut that gap back gap back not just from safety but even from 19th place right and Nil-nil at the half. They were not inferior to Southampton, but 
Southampton turned it on and really ended any last hopes Norwich could have it at staying up. Yeah, I mean, this game is Norwich in a nutshell, I think. I mean, just really, really god-awful defending, if we're going to be blatantly honest here. I mean, the keeper doesn't help himself either. I think Cruel, um, he could have done better on the second goal. He's Be- great at saving penalties, just his, yeah. not from anywhere else. Beaten at his near post. I mean, it's just... It's it's the tale of Norwich, and it's the tale of Norwich being a yo-yo club. And I hate to say it, but in my opinion, Norwich are down already. Yeah, for Norwich sure. Norwich are down, I think. We went into it last time as well. I know we'll get on to Villa in a bit, but Villa seemed down as well. Um, it just seems like they're the race for um, staying up is going to be decided by who finishes 18th. I think Aston Villa and uh, Norwich are already pretty much guaranteed to go down right and then for Southampton as well they're the first couple games of the season they were you know Ralph Ralph Hasenhurl excuse me their their manager was probably a game away from being shown the door and he's he's come back and he's saved Southampton they're already safe by now they're already 10 points away from from relegation just three points off Arsenal and um Sure, like led by by Danny Ings, but the performance they put in definitely, definitely, well, you know, showed that they were superior to Norwich. That definitely. Norwich are are a team that are going to be the championship championship next season. Next definitely. season, and Southampton won't be just showing that that class difference. Also, to move on now, to move on to to um, Spurs against United, the next game on our list. To me, when I watched this this game, I saw a difference from. I believe it was the fourth game played um, in the in the Premier League back, the first two being Sheffield United, Villa, and then City Arsenal, and then North Southampton was first. United Spurs was fourth. To me, there was a class difference in terms of fitness levels, game plan. It seemed closer to what a real match would have been like than, than the three before. Did, Perhaps, did that strike you? I would say with Spurs, Man United... You know, this game was for Jose, um, classic Jose ball, I think. Uh, Bergvind does very well, um, races through the United defense. Um, De Gea should definitely do better, in my opinion, as should McGuire, who I think were both at fault for their uh, the goal in that case. But nevertheless, um, Spurs go up 1-0. And you could argue at that point that it was sort of against the run of play. I mean... I wouldn't say United were threatening, but, I mean, you definitely had the better of the possession, and you yeah. were definitely in their half a bit more. Um, yeah, it, it was it was interesting, because United United had the ball, but as, as I thought would be the case, it would be kind of hard for them to break Spurs down, because as we've seen all season, United really struggled to break down these kinds of teams. So when Spurs went 1-0 when, went up, I thought, this is going to be really hard for United. And it was to an extent, I didn't expect Spurs to come out as poorly as they did in the second half, in my opinion. I think that it really the second half was all Man United's and the latter part of the first half was Spurs. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I thought it was a pretty fair result. I thought Spurs defended pretty well. I thought United... 
created chances here and there. Um, wasn't really a consistent um, like flurry of chances. I would say I say I'd say it was way more sporadic, and it was created more so on individual talent. Um, yeah, it it was a fair result in my opinion. One one. Um, I would say not a good result for either team, as both teams, in my opinion, um, needed to win to keep up. But it, it's it's one where you you take it and you move on. I'd say. Yeah, I think, especially from from Tottenham's, Tottenham's perspective, if you looked at the the live tables when when they were in the lead, a point behind Man United, four points behind Chelsea. Of course, Chelsea have that game, would at that point had that game in hand. It seemed like with a with a win against United, all of the previous season, well, ups and downs were behind them, and they were back in back in a, a race for the Champions League. And then a United equalizer sort of cemented that that they were back to to four points behind United, seven points behind Chelsea, um, and it it sort of not put the nail in the coffin because there's still so many games left. But it, it does seem it does seem to be too hard for Spurs to make the Champions League at this point, because yeah. of that because of that equalizer from Fernandez from the penalty. I I wouldn't say that so quickly simply because Sheffield United and I think we'll get onto them in a little bit maybe. But um, Sheffield United for me have been really poor in terms of the restart. I mean they lost to Newcastle three 0 Granted they had a man sent off, but they were not threatening beforehand and. In the two games that they have played, they have really not created any chances. No, not really. And except for the goal they scored. Except, except <laughs> for the goal they scored, which wasn't given, obviously. But even that was a bit of a fluke. Yeah. There, there, there wasn't a... Like, I can't think of a clear-cut chance that they have created over 180 minutes. And that's worrying. Because this team is a very system-reliant team. They don't have a lot of talent. They don't have a lot of money to buy talent. You know, it, it's... It's unfortunate for Sheffield United because I think they're one of the teams that rely on fan atmosphere and rely on that kind of thing um, rely on good coaching from Chris Wilder I think that they will fall off so I think that Spurs you know can leapfrog them it's just a matter of where Spurs want to go because Spurs you can argue if it weren't for one individual mistake from um, Dyer against Pogba for the penalty you could argue that Spurs would have held on because they are coached yeah. by the best defensive coach of all time. You could argue that they could have held on for 1-0. Would they have held on? Who knows? I mean, United were pressing. Spurs always had that 5% chance of a good counterattack, in my opinion. But it it's really just an if-buts-and-maybes game. Um, I think it's a little too soon to count Spurs out, though. That's fair. Uh, moving on to United really quickly before we before we move on to another game. It was like a whole different game once Pogba and Greenwood came on. It, it, to me at least, what I took away was, as much as I understand Pogba especially not starting because he hasn't played football in, I think, seven months, bar two games that he came back before he re-injured, um, I believe it was his ankle, but don't quote me on that, um, I understand why he didn't start, but one of the reasons that I was so concerned seeing the starting lineup is not that he didn't start, it was that... Ole would be too late to, to, to react, to, too late to make that substitution to bring Pogba on to change the game. Because when Pogba came on in the 62nd or 63rd minute, it was a completely different game. Both him and Greenwood had insane reactions, especially from the only United player who was sort of trying before that in Fernandez, And no, nothing that he tried came off before then, but 
And I, I agree with you that at least through 60 minutes, I don't think Fernandez played well. I think there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of commentary that he was the only one trying and the only one that tried stuff, and that that sort of translates to playing well. And I agree that that's it, it's it's encouraging. It's it's good that he's always trying, but there was con- constant overhit balls, constant making the constant um, wrong decisions, but when Pogba came on, it seemed like his decisions were better. In the move where Greenwood had a shot, but right before the equalizer, there's a a Pogba pass to Fernandez who sort of um, checks it between his legs and then plays it out wide for Greenwood. And and those kinds of things that, that before Pogba came on, it was almost like you would have expected Fernandez to play it half a yard in front of him or half a yard behind him. Um, It was like Pogba didn't just ignite a switch in the, in United, it was like every individual player played up to Pogba. To me, that sort of got back to, at times, when Mourinho was manager of United, when Pogba would be on the bench, and United would almost wait for Pogba to be subbed on to to react. Did that sort of remind you of that, or something like that? I mean, in terms of Pogba, I think Pogba obviously changed the game. I think the highlight for me was when he hit that pass over the top of Aurier. I mean, that's one of the hardest technical things to do in football. So, um, yeah, he definitely changed the game. I think Greenwood did okay when he came on. I wouldn't say he was outstanding, but I think he definitely was much better than Daniel James, who, in my opinion, is an incredibly average footballer. Um, And I can't really understand why um, Scrollshire keeps picking him ahead of Mason Greenwood. Even though Mason Greenwood is a natural striker, I believe that he can still do a better job on the right and Daniel James can, and I mean, maybe the justification for it is that he's got pace, but I, I still don't see it in terms of footballing ability. Um, but back to Pogba, I mean, yeah, he definitely changed the game. Um, he definitely elevated the team's performance. I mean, you Spurs were giving um, Man United possession with Will, I would say. I think they were content with what they had. I think they were going to defend uh, backs against the wall, classic Mourinho. Um, it's kind of worrying for Man United though because Man United have not had the best injury record this season as seen in Pogba and if and this is this is not exactly the greatest thing to think about but if Pogba were to get injured for a few games I don't see the likes of Bruno Fernandez um McTominay Matic Fred maybe I don't see the creativity in though within those four players to break down a low block and whether you say Bruno is a good player or not, I don't know. I personally think that Bruno is very overrated, um, but it, it's it's worrying. And I the reason I say Bruno is overrated is because, like you said, he yes he does he does try a lot of things. But in my opinion, Bruno plays hero ball, and you can't in a game when you're chasing a game you can't play hero ball. You can play hero ball when you're three 0 up against someone at home. But I think that if you're consistently playing it, it's a big problem. And his misplays passes were awful. I mean, he shoots from almost impossible distances that, yes, he would score on in Portugal, but this is the Premier League. We've got decent goalkeepers, you know what I mean? It's like, I think I remember him shooting like a good three times from like 35 yards and thinking it's just standard for Lloris, like... Cool, it registers as a shot on target, looks good on the stat sheet, but what did it really do in effect when like three players were in better positions? You know what I mean? Well, right. I think that was the main thing. Where, where first of all, it it is the biggest game 
aside from the city game that he's played in for United, and and to me, that is the main, the main thing where. He, he's doing things that he would do in Portugal, but it's his ninth, tenth game for United, and it, it is really about about that learning process. But I I also think it's hard to deny what what he has done, um, in terms of scoring goals and and creating goals. Well. I mean, from open play, when I judge him, I see consistently poor misplaced passes. It's really, for me, when he's at his best is from a dead ball. And I think that, do I want a player on my team like that? I'm not saying he's not good enough to be a Man United squad. I'm just saying, in terms of, like, if you're, if you're Man United are going to challenge for a title, right? For me personally, I don't think you can afford to have a Bruno Fernandes type player in your team if you're going to go to the likes of Anfield, per se, with a packed Anfield. You can't afford to be giving the ball away, like, every, you know, time, like, every other time you touch the ball, because at Anfield, you know, you need your spells to possession, you need to grow into the game, and I just think that he's the kind of player that doesn't allow you to do that, and I mean, if you get a good set piece, maybe seven on, if you get something like that, I... I just don't think that he's the starting caliber of player that Man United need. Yeah, that that definitely would be something that he would need to learn. Um, is that uh, peace of mind to to know where you are, what league you're in. Um, to me, it'll come with time, but but we'll see how it goes. It'll be interesting to see both from Spurs and United's perspective how they respond because I think they both in played well in terms of to their to their game to the manager's game plans whether it was Spurs being de- defending extremely well and not not allowing United to to create chances and United in terms of dominating possession and and being able to get that equalizer and I don't think it's unfair to say that if United had had a few more minutes that that a winner wouldn't have been out of the question um and I think if they had those few minutes and continued to press a winner wouldn't have been undeserved either so it'll be interesting to see moving on. Both teams are going to be playing games that they should win. Spurs being uh, against West Ham and United being against Sheffield United, um, which we'll get into later, but we want to continue to, to wrap up those games. To me, Watford and Leicester, I expected more from Leicester. I know Watford have definitely improved under my under Nigel Pearson, but um, I know you were cautious because Ricardo Pereira is out for the season. Yeah. <laughs> Leicester, I mean... I think Leicester have finally started to realize that they don't have the team to be third place in the Premier League. And I think that it's hard to hear if you're a Leicester fan, but you've got, you know, very good players in very certain areas. I think a lot of the success that Leicester had was their fullbacks. Um, they rely on Ben Chilwell. They relied on Pereira. Now that Pereira's gone, you know. I mean, Chilwell obviously had a great strike to put them ahead in the 90th minute, but the Leicester of November, December 2019, that's that that game against Watford is a 2-3-0 win standard. And I think that they have lost that kind of form. Will they refine it? I'm not sure. I think that... It's going to be hard for them to refine it. Um, you know, this is some pressurous time now that Chelsea are only three points off them. Um, they gained obviously two points on them this weekend, but yeah, Leicester, 
were very abject in that game. And from a Watford perspective, I mean, if I were a Watford fan, I'm thinking nil-nil before the game. Yeah, you're at home. It's not the most appealing result in the world, but hey, I take it, you know? 1-1, a draw against the third-place team in the league I, at home. I take it. So from a Watford perspective, I say it was a good run out. It kind of felt like a preseason at times, but ultimately I'd say if I'm a Watford fan, I'm pretty happy with that result. Well, yeah, it in the standings especially, it's clear that there are five teams for three spots for the relegation. And right now it looks like four teams deserve those three spots in, in Norwich, Villa, Bournemouth, and West Ham. And the outlier is Watford, who right. who look like they're going to separate I think, themselves. I think Watford, with um, the likes of Delefeu, especially um, before before the league got suspended because of the pandemic, I think Watford were showing good form. I mean, they beat Liverpool 3-0 at uh, Vicarage Road. Um, it was not the prettiest style of football, but it gets the job done. I think they've got some good players in Saar as well. Um, right, even though De La Feu is, I believe, out for the rest of the season, they've still got Saar. Dini leads the line well. I think they've got a decent keeper in Ben Foster. Um, just a decent team overall. A team, a team that deserves, in my opinion, to stay up in the Premier League. Yeah, um, it's more. It's clear as it's clear as day for me that they are at least better than Aston Villa and um, Norwich, rather. Yeah, it definitely seems more likely that they were underachieving at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I would agree. Than overachieving now. Um, to move on, we do want to just quickly finish up the, the roundup of games so we can move on to talking about what's going to happen um, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. So we've got Wolves beating West Ham, and West Ham did look at, like a team that need to, needed to go down, and Wolves looked like a team that that surprised me in in the consistency of... I mean, you can't judge consistency on one game, but it definitely felt like a Wolves performance that they'll be able to continue. It'll be interesting to see how they fare playing against a team that's not in, as we have described, that bottom four. Um, when they play... Wow, who do Wolves play next? I be- Yeah, I think that with Wolves against West Ham, I mean, West Ham, I'm going to be honest, apart from Declan Rice, in my opinion, West Ham were awful. Like, completely awful. I mean, Declan Rice did what he could from center half, but <laughs> at the end of the day, he's a center half. Like... What is he going to really do? I mean, Mikel Antonio, I mean, I, we've had private conversations about this before, but for me, Mikel Antonio is very limited technically, and he's more of an athletic kind of player. And, you know, I believe Bowen as well. Like, it's really just they are those, poor. Yeah, they're, poor. They're, they're, a, they're a team filled with Antonios in that, yeah. in that way to me where they're going to, you're going to watch the game and be so frustrated with them time and time and time again, and then the fifth or sixth game, they're going to score a hat-trick or something. And then you think, okay, they can play. But then they go right. back to be being frustrated right. and right. frustrated, and you see that with, with Michael Antonio. I right. think earlier in his career, he was better, but you're starting to see that from the likes of like Aaron Cresswell now, and, and even Fabianski is sort of falling off as... Somewhat, I mean, somewhat. He used to be a better goalkeeper than he is now. To I would say with West Ham, I, if I'm a West Ham fan, I'm really worried right now, because... In that game, yeah, you're playing Wolves, but you're playing Wolves at home. Um, you've had a lot of time to prepare for the game. You've had a decent amount of time to get your fitness up. Um, you've got players like Felipe Anderson in the squad that can do things. You've got players like Lanzini that can do things. You know, it's not like a player, a team like you know, in my opinion, Norwich, who have very limited talent. This West Ham team has got some talent in it, and 
I think David Moyes, like, just a really, really abject manager in terms of, like, keeping teams in the league. I mean, yeah, his last team, I believe, in the league was Sunderland, if I'm not wrong. Um, it, it was... It, it could have been, yeah. It could have been Sunderland, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, he struggled to keep that team in the league. Granted, they were pretty poor apart from Jermaine Defoe, but really he did not inspire any confidence into that side. It's, in my opinion, a battle between Bournemouth and West Ham for the 18th spot of who wants to be worse and who wants to go down. Because both of those teams are very, very, very deserving to go down, in my opinion. And we'll see what happens. But I'd like to focus on Wolves now, because Wolves fans are probably just punching the air as I'm just not talking about their performance. Well, because it's funny that I said that about yeah. how it's well, it's be, it'll be interesting to see how they play against non-bottom four right, teams. Right, right. Their next game is against Bournemouth, the one after that is against Villa. Right, I mean, Wolves, <sighs> I looked at their schedule. It's not exactly the hardest thing in the world, in my mm. opinion. I think if I'm a Man United fan, Wolves are the team that I'm fearing most right now. Yeah. I think Wolves have got quality in Jimenez. They've got a super sub and Adama Traore. They've got ways to score goals. They're consist- They're defensively a unit. Got a decent keeper. Got three good center halves. I think led by Willie Volley is my favorite personally. Um, Ruben Neves, class player, could just crack one from 30 at Moutinho any time. right next to him. Moutinho, experienced, good player. They've got a good team. A team that some could argue deserves to be playing Champions League football. Yeah. I think Wolves... If they get a favorable group, if they get, you know, the group F or group G of the Champions League, like teams get, and you know how there's always that one gutter group where two, like, right. terrible teams qualify from and make it into the round of 16. Wolves get into that group, they're finishing first. Not, not a question in my yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you Wolves, think it is about that consistency, though? I mean, about, not about the consistency. Do you think it is about that depth that if Wolves are playing three games a week, how is, you know, how is Jimenez going to be able to play, you know, play all those games? And if he's not, Who's, who's backing him up? It's something to think about. I think that um, Nuno Espirito Santo is a really good manager, and I think yeah. he'll find ways to get creative. He's got his system. He's got his back three. He's got players that work hard for the points that they get. Um, I think Nuno will find ways to do it. I think that you know Wolves could go on a charge here. I mean, they could easily build momentum. And football, whether people like to talk about it or not, it's... A momentum game as well, and I don't think that gets focused on a lot. What, what, do, what do the Wolves have? They have Bournemouth and they have Villa coming up, right? Right, then they've got Arsenal at home. Okay, and Arsenal, as we've talked about, are not in the greatest of form, and in my opinion, Wolves are objectively a better team than them. So, out of those games, out of those three games, if I'm a Wolves fan, why should I not expect nine points? Sheffield United after? Sheffield, exactly, and Sheffield United, you know... Another tough team. Another but tough like, team, are but they they're, tough they're, right now? Are, exactly, and they're... We we think they're falling. They could they could surprise us against Man United on Wednesday. Wednesday. Um, they could surprise us, but as of right now, Sheffield United are not looking good. So if I'm a Wolves fan, I'm thinking, why not? Let's push on. Let's push on. Let's get fifth. Let's maybe let's shoot for fourth, maybe if we're lucky. Because as of right now, fifth gets you Champions League football. So I mean, who knows? Leicester falling off. I mean, Wolves. Like, they didn't create a lot at the end of the day. I thought they were good at just keeping, like, the game in their hands, and they always made sure they were the team that had the um, handhold on the game. And when the chances came, when Adama, you know, isolated his man, 
went 1v1, beat him down the byline, score, uh, whips it in, Raul um, 1-0. When the chances came, they took them. And that's that's the sign of a team that's confident and a team that's ready for the task ahead of them. Moving on, we've got Palace and Palace beating Bournemouth 2-0, and I've got a question for you. Yeah. If Bournemouth go down, do you sack Eddie Howe? For me, I don't know, because Bournemouth have always had a really average squad. Like, if you look at this current Bournemouth team, there are usually players and teams that go down. Like, for Norwich, okay, Buendia and Cantwell. Maybe Pookie. maybe Pookie, but Pookie hasn't found form since Christmas. Maybe those three players you think, yeah, they'll move on somewhere. Villa, Grealish, McGinn, you know. You can pick names. Maybe maybe um, Tyrone Mings as well. Bournemouth? Callum Wilson, maybe. Josh King, maybe. Josh King, maybe. Fraser, wait. Fra- Fraser, Fraser's wait. out the door, but was he that amazing? Well, he wasn't that good this season, for sure. Was he that amazing? You know, it's like, maybe they move on, but Bournemouth, not a very high-quality um, squad. I mean... It's understandable they've got an 11,000-seat stadium. They're not a rich club whatsoever. And to be fair to Eddie Howe, I mean, he took a, pretty much the same squad to some mid-table finishes after taking them from, what was it, like, League One? I when believe he took it over? was League One, yeah. Bournemouth, I mean, for a couple of years there, were the type of team that would be 10th in, in April and then would stop caring and end up... 14th, finishing or... not that far from relegation, but it was because they didn't care the, and lost their last six games or something like that. Right. I mean... But Born... does that erase what he's doing now? Which is, <sighs> I mean, probably taking a team to the... Possibly taking a team to the second division. Here's the thing. I mean, it's a battle for me of Bournemouth between West Ham. Because Bournemouth v. West Ham, if you look at it on paper, I think West Ham edge it in terms of who is the better squad. Yeah. On paper, Wolves, whether Wolves have a better better manager, or whether we sack, whether they sack Eddie Howe or not, I think he's a better manager than David Moyes. Oh, Eddie Howe is comfortably better manager than David Moyes, but we'll see what happens. But it's worrying for both of those clubs, and you know we'll see what happens. But I mean, it's kind of a battle of just who's gonna be worse in this time, because I don't think any. Either of those two teams are going to be, yeah, we're going to be good now. You know? Oh, it really is. It could have been the thing where if West Ham had pulled up a decent performance and Wolves had, had pooped the bed a couple days ago, that would have been a point that they needed right, and right. could have kept them up. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, as I've been saying. But West Ham are only three ahead of them on goal difference. Yeah, exactly. I mean... If we're going to be honest, both of those teams deserve to go down. Oh, for sure. Four teams deserve to go down this year. Both of those teams deserve to go down. I mean, we'll see what happens, but (laughs) it's really just a depressing time for both of those teams. Oh, it really is. So, we talked about how Newcastle destroyed Sheffield United, so we'll move on to a game that you'll be excited to talk about. (laughs) Chelsea beat Villa 2-1. Yeah, I mean, Villa, I'm going to be honest here. A lot of you can look at the you can look at the game on paper and be like ah two one you know I'm gonna be completely honest here Villa they had their moments but 
there is no way that anyone can tell me that Chelsea didn't deserve to win this game. I think Chelsea were by far the better side. Don't for... you think Villa defended us well, though? It always felt like the breakthrough was coming. You know what I mean? The breakthrough was coming. We had we were Chelsea were creating so many one twos around the box. It was it was coming. It was just a matter of time before the gaps opened up. It was obvious once we got the first goal that the gaps would open up because Villa would open up as they as like any relegation fodder usually does. And I mean, I think you gotta give praise to Frank Lampard. I mean, both of his substitutions who came on did well. I mean, Christian Pulisic scored in what two minutes? Since he came on. Ross Barkley played well, too. Ross Barkley played well. I think that um, Frank Lampard will also be happy that Angolo Conte um, played in what would some would call his most natural position. I mean, we can get onto this in a future podcast, but I mean, for me, Conte has kind of been a player that's always been kind of misunderstood. But it's good to see that he's moved back into this Makalele role that I think Chelsea need because they don't have a lot of defensive cover. I mean, Kovacic, as good as he is, is getting out of the press defensively he's poor in my opinion Jorginho I we talked last week maybe maybe it wasn't last week maybe it was on an article which you can check out at the hurryup.com right. to shamelessly plug myself that Jorginho does leave and we talked about this as I was writing it that Jorginho leaves those gaps leaves between the, gaps, yep. the midfield and the defense that that are what teams look to exploit and if Jorginho had started those would have been the spaces that Jack yeah. Grealish would have found that John McGinn would have found yeah I think Conte especially managed those players very well. I mean, I think of in like the last minute, Grealish is on a breakaway. Conte takes him out for a yellow card. Great foul. Great foul. Great foul, what he needed to do. And I mean, if I'm if that's Jorginho in that case, he's not even catching up, let alone fouling him. So I mean, I I was really happy to see Conte's performance. And not only that, so many people say this guy can't pass. It's just bullshit. I'm sorry. The guy was spraying passes for fun. He was controlling the play. He'll get better with the tempo at time, but I think this move back to the defensive midfield position is going to be good for Chelsea long-term if they want to challenge for the Premier League next season because I think that Conte, he has the perfect skill set to do it, and there's no reason why he can't be the best defensive midfielder in the world. For sure, for sure. This cements Villar down, right? I wouldn't say... Yeah, yeah, I would. Villa, like... It's just their schedule. They're only yeah. a point behind West Ham and, and and Bournemouth. It's just their schedule is so difficult. They've got they've got United left. I'll, I'll get the exact schedule. Not up. to mention with Villa. Villa, like, the goal that they scored against Chelsea, it was the just... It was the typical Chelsea goal to concede. You know, Chelsea dominated for 40 the entire half. One cross into the back post, um, you know, Aspilicueta or whoever was there, lose their man, header against Kepa, parried out in the middle, no center half standing there like statues, no one reacts, go. And apart from that in the first half, I don't really think they did anything. They had one shot that didn't challenge Kepa whatsoever. I mean, second half, same story. I think Chelsea, at some points, they had like 80% of the ball. They were whipping in crosses for fun. I mean... From a Chelsea perspective, you've got to think, like, next year, once you have um, Hakim Ziyech down that right-hand side and Reese James, this game ends 5-1. And the reason I say that is because the goal that is impossible for teams like Villa to defend is the back post cross. Like, the Aspilicueta, the the Aspilicueta found a Pulisic. 
when you have the quality of Reese James and Hakeem Ziyech whipping in crosses to the likes of Timo Werner at the back post where it's his bread and butter. Imagine when Chelsea are going for games and they've got both him and Abraham on. It, exactly. It's it's going to be a scary striking force for Chelsea next season. Um, but ultimately, for Chelsea, good way to come back in a game where everyone around them dropped points in a game that you feel as a Chelsea fan they needed to win. Yeah. And they, at the end of the day, they got the job done. They got done. it done, exactly. And that's what matters right now. It doesn't have to be fitness. the prettiest football. In my opinion, I thought Chelsea played some really good football at times. Yeah, for had sure. Some, had some moments where it scared a lot of Chelsea fans, but played some good football. And at the end of the day, it was clear as day that since they're packing the middle, Frank's like, okay, take it down the side. We're going to overload them on the flanks, whip the ball in, and we're going to, you know... Hope that one of them comes off. And they're now in a position where, I mean, if they beat if they beat City, you'd probably say it's not just a possibility, it's probably likely that they're going to finish third. And then it sort of changes where if they lose to City and United beat Sheffield United, right. there's we've got a, a battle for third, fourth, and fifth on our hands, which is certainly what I see, what I see happening um, in terms of three, four, five, Separating themselves a bit right. from 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You could even see clubs like Everton and Palace passing Arsenal at this point. Yeah, but, you could. Um, talking about Everton, they seemed more likely than Liverpool to find the winner at the end. Everton, yeah. I mean, we talked about it in the preview. I mean, we, I think I predicted 2-0 Liverpool win, but I don't think, I think anyone... I don't think any Evertonian can get mad at me for saying that. <laughs> um, but... I also apologize to you for wa- having to watch that game because it got very boring very quickly. That's the annoying thing is that like derbies are supposed to be this atmospheric game that it's I special mean, not just because of the performance. Everton, Everton, Liverpool's last three games at Goodison Park have been nil nils, but I don't know about you, I didn't remember that because you know Merseyside and Merseyside derby is, is a derby. I mean, yeah, what's important about that game is it's just as much it, the fans as the players. It's important if not more. To, for me. If I'm a neutral, the Merseyside derby in the future, I could potentially be avoiding that game. <laughs> well, because Liverpool are separating themselves. Right, 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 right. But but um, just in general, the atmosphere that comes like, with the derby. If I'm going to be honest, not to go on a wild tangent here, but the last Merseyside derby where I was like, wow, amazing game, I can remember it vividly, was in 2013 when they it was the 3-3 game at Goodison Park. When Li- I think Everton came back 3-2, and then Liverpool equalized in like the last minute. I thought, that was a great game of football. Other than that, I don't remember barely any Merseyside derbies. And it it's really just a game for the fans. Now, I mean, back to the football. Everton, Richarlison, uh, Calvert-Lewin, put in a shift, in my opinion. I thought they both had good performances. They always have under Ancelotti. That, that's their game. It's the counterattack. It almost worked. And, you know, I'm going to stick... My head, my head out here and say Allison is probably the best keeper in world football. I think when you take into account everything that he has, he slightly edges it over Oblak in my opinion. Don't get me wrong. Oblak, world class. Clear as day, an, an amazing world class keeper. But Allison saved Liverpool with those saves, those saves yesterday. And really it's just a team that's like you know you're going to win the league, and you're just kind of coasting your way there. You, you know, you, you've, tw- what is it, 22-point gap at this point? I mean, it's probably less because they dropped points in City 1 today, but 
I mean, at the end of the day, 20. yeah, twenty point gap. The league's done. Oh, of course. You can you can lose however many games. You know, you can lose five games. In a no, the, the league's done. It's the league is the league is done. And if you're a Liverpool fan, you're like meh, whatever. Would have been nice to win at our rivals, but who cares? We're winning the Premier League for the first time in like thirty years. So at the end of the day. We've we've done what we set out to do at the beginning of the season. Mission accomplished. Yeah, we're recording right after City just destroyed Burnley five nil. Clear clear gulf in, in quality between the two sides. It's just a shame that City have nothing to play for anymore. Right. I mean, when the Champions League comes back, I mean, I think we'll talk upon this in later episodes. But I think that's when City are going to be like, all right, this is when we're going to start gunning for it right now because. I mean, as of right now, they're not going to have the chance to for the next two years. That, but also City. For me, I think I look at City the way that they played at Real Madrid and the Bernabeu. It's it's a Champions League winning performance, in my opinion. I think that they and the Champions League winning squad definitely had the squad. They've had the squad for the past two years. It's just in Champions League, you have to have that mentality. And I think City are finally starting to get it—the win at all cost mentality in the Champions League because you can't play the city kind of football in the Champions League and get results away from home. You can't, you know, I think I think of when they tried to go to Anfield and they lost 3-0. You you have to kind of adapt your play style to other teams, big teams in the Champions League. We're talking your Liverpools, your Barcelona, your Real Madrid, your Juventus, you know, something like that. You've got to you've got to be able to suffer. And I hate when Antonio Conte says this, but in the Champions League he's right. You got to be able to just sit back and accept the fact that you're going to have to sit and play defense for 10, 15 minutes. Get the ball back. You'll have your own spell. That's how Champions League football works. City, they can definitely go on and win it this year. I think that they will, in fact, go on and win it this year. Oh, I hope not. But in terms of Premier League football, I mean, let's get back to the game. They played Burnley. Burnley. Awful. Let's be real. On talent, they they are one of the worst teams in the league. Really, I don't agree. I mean, look on at the talent. Ta- look at the table. Look at Dwight Mc. I mean, D- Dwight McNeil what, makes what an team? eleven. Hold what on, team? Dwight McNeil makes an eleven of the best bottom ten. Yeah. Okay. Players in the league, what, probably. What? What team? Okay. Look at look at besides maybe Nick Pope and Dwight McNeil. What player can you pick from Burnley and be like, they'd start for a top six side. What player can you pick from Norwich? You could argue. What player can you pick from any bottom sixteen, bottom bottom ten? Well, team? well, I I think you can have arguments that maybe a Wendia, a Todd Cantwell can get into some. Okay, size. but like two players, that's that's big. Plus, I'm not even plus John McGinn could definitely get into some sides. John McGinn could get into Spurs, in my opinion. Plus, easily. Ashley Barnes is a has been banging and banged in goals before he got injured. I don't know. I just think that they summarize English football of old, and I really, I'm sorry, Burnley fans, I just despise watching your team. But for City, I mean, same old, right? 5-0, typical. Get the job done. I mean, you have some flair, like you can have in the Premier League against these kind of sides. I mean, Phil Foden, really good performance. I personally don't know why he doesn't get more minutes for Manchester City. I think he's an elite-level talent in football. But, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about how good City are, but at the end of the day, 
they've like you said they've got nothing to play for in the Premier League. Premier League's done. Maybe they want to rack up the most points that they can, but at the end of the day, if they lose a game, who cares? You know what I mean? It's like we want to we want to keep everything we have um, in the FA Cup, and most importantly, the thing that has eluded Man City for so long, the Champions League. So at this point, we've. We've watched 12 games. Right. We have seen every team. We've seen four teams twice. Any takeaways? Thoughts? Fitness-wise, I mean, yeah, this is this is kind of a boring point. I mean, I, a listener right now will be like, oh, fitness, who get, who cares? You know, It's an important time of the game, though. Um, I think I was surprised. I thought that the... the Games kind of coming back, the first game for everyone would kind of be like more preseason ish than yeah. actually like playing. Some of them were. Some of them were preseason ish. I mean, Villa Sheffield United. Villa Sheffield United one. that we reviewed last week was definitely preseason ish, but it, for me, it was good. It was, the quality was a lot better than I expected. Um, you know, it, probably due to modern medical technology, the fact that, you know, players were exercising at home that's right they've got they've got a diet they've got everything laid out for them um we live in an era where an acl is not a career-ending injury anymore um you know what i mean so it 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 makes sense just kind of it wasn't something that i was initially expecting i was like okay maybe like 10 teams come back 10 teams are like rusty you know and you can't really judge them after that but it was good i thought there weren't many teams where i could say oh they're just off the pace here and they're not themselves. Yeah. And another thing that we've touched upon was, for me, I mean, I did not expect Sheffield United to be so poor, if I'm perfectly honest. I think they're one of those teams that have kind of looked abject on the fitness side. Haven't created a lot of chances. They don't usually create a lot of chances anyway. Um, but to lose 3-0 to Newcastle, I mean, for me, that was a big shock. What about you? No, for sure. And I think that definitely goes along with with what we were saying about their crowd being so important. Yeah. That atmosphere being the, the the driving factor in going a little bit harder into that challenge, pressing a little bit more just for that, that last second to, to get to get there a little bit faster. And and that's the difference with Sheffield United. Right. Um, is is that it sounds it's a cliche, but wanting it more than the other team, um, is one of those factors that has gotten Sheffield United to where they are, along with these tactics, but part of the tactics is work harder than the other team. Yeah. And 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 that's what they've done except for in the, in the two games back. Which I think um, brings me to, to one of my takeaways, which along with, with your first point about fitness levels is that I did not expect to be able to find that gulf in quality as quickly. I thought that... You, Poorer players technically or less standout, standout-ish players would would appear better because more technically gifted players would, would still be finding their way back to, to sharpness. And really, I didn't see that. Highlighted especially, I mean, the perfect example happened just, just an hour ago. Um, with Mares taking on taking on Charlie Daniels and, and finding finding the the bottom corner brilliantly well, is is that not not charlie daniels charlie Dan- charlie charlie taylor charlie daniels plays for bournemouth left back for bournemouth right back or 
Left right back, ba- yeah. left back, left potato, back, potato. Okay. Exactly. We've offended many people. We don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, just finding the corner and showing that golfing quality. Um, at times, you could tell that there was that lack of at, that lack of sharpness. We saw it with um, Bruno Fernandez. We saw it with Loftus Cheek coming back um, and playing in a position that that he hadn't played in at least in the Premier League. I know that he had in in um, no. in yeah Ruben's first game in thirteen months. I mean, yeah, it, 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 he definitely looked off the pace. But exactly. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. So those kinds of we definitely have had outliers that. That players weren't a hundred percent up to their up to their sharpness, but you know, the goal Mares scored, the the way Pogba won the penalty, um, the goal Bergvine scored as much as De Gea probably should have done better. Um, there's there's a sharpness that we can see that that is a distinguishing quality in in Premier League football that I didn't expect to be back so early, um, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see whether that continues in most teams' second games back when. Um, which we we do want to get into a couple of them because one of the big ones is Chelsea against City and would a Chelsea fan like yourself be optimistic? I think that we have no reason not to be optimistic. Um, the game, it's it's at home, you know. We we've City over the years have not done well coming to Stamford Bridge. I mean, whether the crowd affects it or not. It definitely does, but on paper they're a better side. I just think that Frank Lampard, we've Chelsea have got almost all of their players back and fit and ready. Um, I think Pulisic will definitely start on Thursday. I think that Conte definitely keeps his place. I think Mount keeps his place. I think maybe Zuma comes in for Christensen because they're gonna Chelsea gonna need that physicality at the back. Um, Reese James starts at right right back for me. I mean, he rested some players against Villa um, to play for the City game, uh, to be perfectly fully fit. We've had an extra day's rest compared to them. We've had an extra day's preparation. I think that Chelsea are in a good state to play Manchester City. That being said... But City are in a good state to play Chelsea. That's City said, are Manchester City state. are Manchester City. They are, you know, with... Out shadow of a doubt, top three teams in the world. Um, yeah. Chelsea beat them at the bridge last season. I mean, that was due to just individual tactics. I mean, Frank Lampard knows how to identify a weakness in a team and exploit it. And that's what he does in these big games. Whether it comes off or not is down to the squad. But the plan is always there, and the plan is always right. And you can see the plan works. It just usually comes down to individual errors that just he cannot help. If the squad turns up Thursday, I see no reason why Chelsea can't win this against the City side, who, like we've said, don't have much to play for. If Chelsea kind of show up and have these stupid brain lapses that they had, for example, against Aston Villa. They have a brain lapse against like, like that. They cannot afford one of those. If they have one of those, the game's done. And so I need a score prediction, Josh. A score prediction. I thought about it long and hard. And and he watched that City game. I watched the City game where they won 5-0. It was against Burnley. And Chelsea, like, we've run over Burnley this season as well. So, I mean, it, it, I'm just going to say it straight up and as it is. It's bias, yes, I know. But I see us winning this 1-2-1. 
I gotta go to another city. They're they're just they look on a different planet. Returning. You don't think we're gonna score against this city defense that hasn't been good all season? They've kept two clean sheets since coming back. Granted, they played Arsenal, who are like a mid-table side, and Burnley, who can't score to save their life. I don't know. The way I saw it is that as much as Villa played well defensively to an extent, Chelsea, and Chelsea did play well going forward, it it did seem like that finishing touch was missing until Pulisic came on. And I, I hope for Chelsea that Pulisic starts, and I hope for Chelsea that as much as Olivier Giroud scored, I... I thought he was really good. I so. thought that... But no, no, no. I don't think that he was poor. But I think that as much as he scored, Abraham's a much better option for them. And if he's fully fit... Abraham, then... Abraham is, I think, was saved for the City game in mind. Um, for me, Abraham will offer, if he plays, that is leading from up front, that energy, that kind of Drogba mentality that we used to see from him in big games. Um, I mean, Tammy... I think if he does start, it, it's probably the right call. I mean, Giroud, he can hold up. You know, who knows? Maybe Frank plays 3-5-2. You know what I mean? I could easily see him employing a three at the back with Reese James and Marcus Alonso as wingbacks. Aspilicueta, Zuma, and Rudiger as the three center halves, Kepa in the back. And maybe Tammy and Giroud up front. Who knows? You know, we've yet to find that out. At the end of the day, no one knows what Frank Lampard's going to do other than Frank Lampard and Jody Morris. So, well, that really is the... That's the thing. The good thing about Chelsea squad is they do have that depth. We have that, the depth, yeah. There's only a, f- a few teams in the league, really, that can say that they have that depth. I think Chelsea have it. I think City have it. I mean, they put out almost two completely different teams against yes. Arsenal and Burnley yes. and were equally dominant. I, and then probably, to an extent, United, but less so. To an so. extent, yeah. Less so than... And then Liverpool, like, haven't really needed it because they've sort of decided to not really acknowledge the FA Cup and Carabao Cup. Yeah. So they sort of played the same team. I, I mean, mean, they've got a few rotators in, but no, I, honestly, I just I think that Chelsea and City have better depth than Liverpool. Maybe, maybe. Um, I think in terms of Chelsea's perspective from this game, though, I think that City, you know how they're going to set up. You know, no way on God's green earth is Pep Guardiola setting up with a back three. You know that for a fact. You know City are going to play 4-3-3. You know there's going to be a holding midfielder. You know that there's going to be two players going forward. You know that they're going to have good wide threat. You know all of this. For Chelsea, you don't. It's about beating it. It's about beating it, and it's about being unpredictable. Chelsea have a surprise factor, and City never do. Exactly. City beats you despite it. Exactly. That's the thing. City, at the end of the day, they they could come to Stamford Bridge, and they could win 2-0, like you said. I don't think it'll be a drubbing, but they, can, they could win 2-0, and they could win. It really just depends on the personnel on the pitch and how well they execute the tactics. Because the tactics are designed to break down this kind of team. And it's really, in key moments, this is what Chelsea struggle with. It's a big if, but if Chelsea take their chances in the key moments, who knows? When Chelsea went to the Itihad in November, I thought Chelsea were really good. Yes, we lost 2-1, but... We were the team, and I know this isn't exactly like a stat to write home about, but of the teams that have gone to the Etihad in Pep Guardiola's reign, Chelsea 
had 57% possession that game. And for Pep to have less possession than another team, it's it says something. And I know Chelsea didn't win, but we were good. And you could say that back at the bridge at home, it's a different game, you know. So we'll see. It's a familiar place for us, obviously. We're at home. But yeah, I'm going to stick with what my gut says. And I'm being a bit of an optimist. I mean, those who know me in real life know that I'm usually more pessimistic in this case. But optimistic, I'm going to say 2-1 Chelsea. However, I acknowledge the fact that it could easily go the other way. So we've got a ton of other stuff that we wanted to get to, a couple stuff on the back burner. But I think just because we're running out of time, two matchups that are matchups, I sound like we're talking about the NFL playoffs or something. But um, coming off of the United Spurs game, the way that the, both of those teams react is something that's been that's been on my mind, especially considering that both of those teams have games that they should should be winning, really, coming up. So yeah. to start with, with Spurs, um, they're hosting West Ham, a, yeah. a, that team that really has been struggling. But anything can happen at a derby, or can it not? Uh, I think anything can happen in a derby when there are fans there. When there aren't fans there, it, it's a whole different it's a whole different game. Yeah, I think that's definitely been another takeaway, right? Is that, yeah, that definitely the fans like the the golf and the better team is almost more likely to win? Yes. There's it's not like you know, it's not like with Chelsea, you know. Chelsea if if before the lockdown, it, you know, we go to Villa Park, we play the game there. There are fans there. I'm I'm way more worried going to Villa Park than I was before the game simply because the fans have an effect. You know, the only teams in my opinion, in England, that can't, they don't have to worry about atmosphere or Liverpool and Man City. Other than that, every team ha- will get affected at some point, at some level, because they don't have a good enough squad to, like, you know, overcome that sort of leap. I think that with Spurs playing West Ham, I think that this is a two 0 one for Spurs. Mourinho team not going to score a lot of goals, but certainly not going to concede a lot of goals either. I thought. Lloris was really good against Man United, which was good to see considering his horror injury he had back earlier in the season. Um, I thought, for the most part, players were good um, for Spurs. Um, against Man United, they, they filled their tactical roles well. So, they're at home as well, Spurs. I don't really see why like this is anything other than a tuna win. I mean, West Ham, like we said, really, really poor. Really poor. Very little to no chance creation, and if you can't create chances against Wolves, yes, Wolves are a really good team. You got to be able to create one chance at home, like one, at least one. You know what I mean? Going away to Spurs in a Jose Mourinho defense, not the pretty style of football, but it's effective, and it has obviously been proven effective in the fat in the past. So yeah, I don't see anything other than Spurs two 0 What about you? No, I. I... Couldn't have said it better. I almost feel like I should just move on. <laughs> so so that's what I'm going to do. Um, the other matchup that I think is... is I just said matchup again. <laughs> the other game that... The match. Match. Yeah. The other, the there we go. The other match that I'm, I'm really Dead looking forward anyways. to. Yeah. Uh, that I'm really looking forward to. Probably more so, I am a United fan, but... United Ma- Manchester, Manchester United. United yeah. Uh, I am a Manchester United fan, and... 
United versus United, the Red Devils versus the Blades. Uh, industrial in, Town versus Industrial Town. Yeah, it, it's so intriguing to me for so many reasons because with Spurs, we almost saw their best. Not in that they created tons of chances and scored tons of goals because they didn't do either against United, but we saw them at their best in that they played a team that, in my opinion, is better than them. Um, I think it's probably, in like, it's a little bit... It might be debatable, but I think a team that has a better squad than them. Um, especially um, in midfield. And got a result, that got a draw that they deserved, and were not too far from coming up with all three points. And played close to their best, I think. I don't think you could say the same about United, mostly because I don't think they played their best 11, highlighted by Pogba not starting. And you'd like to think that Pogba would start um, on Wednesday. Yeah. On Sheffield United's side, they don't have Dean Henderson, obviously on loan for Man United, as much as Goal.com thinks that United are in a bidding war for their own player, which is ridiculous if you saw that on Twitter. Um and then, of course, John Egan got suspended in the loss against against Newcastle. They're still going to be without Jack O'Connell. So, of their back four, back four meaning goalkeeper and back three, three of them are missing. And that, that almost seems like too big of an obstacle to overcome for Sheffield United. And it leaves no excuses for United to come away with three points. I agree that it leaves no excuses. I just don't think that that's going to be the case. I think that this game... It's going to be Sheffield United sitting in their own half, and they're going to create two chances on the counterattack. Do they finish them? No. I don't think they have the, the gunmen or the strikers to do it. Man United are going to have a few chances that they miss. And ultimately, this is, in my opinion, going to be the same old story for United. I'm going to just say straight up, it's going to be nil-nil. It's going to be a really boring game. United are going to be pushing, 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 pushing. But at the end of the day, the house will remain intact. Don't you think, though, that regardless of your thoughts on Bruno, we're in agreement that Pogba's exceptional? Yeah. We're also in agreement that teams, even if you don't, teams show respect to both Pogba and Bruno in terms of covering them because of their talent. I wouldn't say teams cover Bruno, but Pogba, yes. Don't you think that them both being on the pitch at the same time creates space for each other? Well, if Bruno's going to play hero ball the entire time, I <laughs> you, you can't right. You can't but even if ball. you're not a fan of Bruno, if well, he's but, playing, like, he's, hold on. But if he's playing hero ball, they have to adapt to that. If you're playing hero ball, there are negatives to that. But you still have to be able to cover the Rashford Rashford's runs. You still have to be able, if if it's Martial's runs, if it's James' runs, if it's Greenwood on the right, you still have to be able, be able to cover the things that Bruno's trying to no, do. I, you still yeah. have to be. I mean, there is it is going to be their second string goalkeeper in goal, even if it is not the best shot from Bruno playing hero ball. And at the same time, you've also got Paul Pogba, one of the best midfielders in the world, at least on talent, on the other side, and they've got to pay attention to all of no, those players. They'll, they'll pay attention to Pogba. At the end of the day, Bruno's not going to have space. That's the thing. But if I'm saying if they're paying attention to Pogba, that creates space for Bruno because they're that Pogba it's, is it, their focus. In principle, it's how it works. In, in principle, it's it's how you'd like to think it would work. But when you sit, in, in, in my eyes, when you have eight players, 
like Sheffield United are going to have, besides the two strikers, which will be running around like crazy and working. When you have eight players, it's almost impossible to create space besides the split-second times that you can get into the half space. By the half space, I mean the gap between the midfielders, so the central midfielders in their case because they play 3-5-2, and the center halves. The way to beat back threes is not to attack those spaces. The way to beat back threes is to dominate them and shut down their wingbacks. Will United do this? I don't know. Because the thing is, Wamasaka, amazing defensively. No one's no one's denying that. But going forward, he, in my opinion, is pretty average. I think Luke Shaw, I think you would agree as well, is a pretty average player. I mean, even if you start Brandon Williams, is he fit, would you say? Yeah. Even if you start Brandon Williams, I'm not sure if you have the fullbacks to really get on and stop these guys. And right, not, not, not more... only get on, but get around them. Because then a po- player like Pogba, who's going to have to come deep, mind you, he's going to yeah. have to come deep to get the ball. That's when he's got to be able to find those guys. They'll make the run, yeah. But will the cross be of quality? Will the cross be of quality so Martial can score? Or maybe Greenwood is in there. Maybe Dan James gets a fluke goal. I don't, I don't know. I don't think I can say that. Because the way back threes work, back threes are not made to defend against crosses. But when you have poor people delivering the crosses, it, it, it's, it's up for grabs in my opinion. And Sheffield United stop you on the wings, which I think that they probably can do and will, depending on how they shift from side to side. It's going to be a really hard game for you. And granted, they lost to Newcastle 3-0, but I think it was pretty even up until the guy, um, Egan, got sent off. The only thing that I think that you... And I agree completely with your assessment, and I, I want to do do more of this tactical analysis um, in general. The only thing that I think that you missed is that all of those players, your assessments on them, as much as we may disagree about their qualities, especially with Bruno, we I agree with you on most of the things you said pretty much everything except I think you missed one thing which is that that space between whether it's the right wing back and the right center half or depending on the space that he's picking up the right center back and the center center back um, is Marcus Rashford that left left inside forward position is to me built for a 3-5-2 because you can choose to build to 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 pick on the 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 right side of defender, you can choose to try to find the spaces between the right side of defender and the wing back, or the right side of defender and the central defender. And then, to me, what that leaves is a question on how fit is he. Because as much as you can't really criticize Rashford right now because of the amazing work that he's doing outside of football... Well, you can criticize him on the pitch. Right, you can criticize him on the in terms pitch. Of, in terms of person, no. Yeah, as much as you... Like, I'll come out and say... I, as much as originally I didn't think that he was poor, I don't think he was poor against Spurs, I think that he was clearly not match fit, and there were things that he couldn't quite do, passes he couldn't quite get onto, um, and he was isolated for sure, almost similarly to the way Aubameyang was against City, um, in, in, yeah. in Arsenal City's first game. Um, the issue is that, I mean, the, the idea is that maybe that, maybe Rashford, We'll be able to find those spaces because that inside forward job could could cater well to a three five two. It's just to me about his sharpness and whether he'll be able to get that after just one game. 
after being injured Trini, since January. It's it's about as sharp as yeah, but it's about whether he'll be able to be found. I think Pogba, no doubt, has the ability to do it, but I think Sheffield United, the way that their system works, I think players like Norwood um, and their other central midfielders, they know how to cover the space and they know how to close out the gaps. Say Rashford gets the ball there. He's going to get closed out. For me, this game, the way it's decided, if United are to win it, is a Pogba wonder goal, or it's just got to be some world-class piece of play. An individual. It's got to be some world-class piece of play that I think that United aren't capable systematic, aren't capable of systematic-wise, because I don't think Ole has drilled it in to like get down the wings in these kinds of games. But don't you think that there are games like... Like, you look at Rashford's goal against Tottenham that, that sure was, uh, earlier in the season, I mean, that sure Gazaniga should have done better. But again, we are dealing with a second-string goalkeeper. And we're dealing with a goalkeeper that United already scored three times on because, again, in the reverse fixture, it was a 3-3 draw. Um, and, of course, they didn't have Dean Henderson in that game either. And getting onto that, regardless of what you think about any of these players... Pogba likes to shoot from distance. Rashford likes to shoot from distance. Bruno likes to shoot from distance. Sometimes Scott McTominay likes to shoot from distance. Martial likes to shoot from distance. He's going to be facing shots. He'll face shots, no doubt. I think that he's... The guy at the end of the day is a premiership keeper. He's not going to get caught out from 40 yards, 35 yards, 30 yards. If you get within 25 yards, which is the area where I think it's going to be most condensed, yeah, no doubt you'll trouble him. If you get a shot off from there, you know, it, it's just, I don't really see that kind of thing happening consistently. I think because of that space that Sheffield, it's, it's in. just, they're going to close it down. That's what they're good at. So in terms of Sheffield United attack, I mean, I see a pretty poor object. I see a pretty poor attack. It's almost not worth discussing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to jinx it, but for Sheffield United, I don't think that they will attack well. And I think they'll get one or two chances on the counterattack. Maybe, maybe. You know, they put one away. I don't see it. I see nil though. This de- this brings us to the one thing that I we honestly don't have time to talk to talk about today, but I do wanna um wanna get in, in, in your head. I wanna make sure that we, we talk about it next time, which will be almost better to have after the Sheffield United Manchester United game. Um which is from a United perspective comparing Dean Henderson and David De Gea. Yeah, um, definitely getting the two the two United well the two United goalkeepers, as much as one of them currently plays for the bad guys from a United perspective. Um, and against Spurs, one of them was the bad guy. Uh, what they'll do with them this summer will be interesting. But but with that said, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, you can find us uh, on on Anchor, on Spotify. We're on we're on all the all the platforms now. We're we're almost on on Apple Podcasts and and Castbox. Which stay tuned because we'll be on those in before you know it really um you can find josh on twitter carefree banksy c-a-r-e-f-r-e-e-b-a-n-k-s-y i feel like i didn't need to spell that but whatever yeah um and you can find us on instagram at the official hurry up fc um also you can find our affiliate the hurry up both the hurry up.com where i write um i wrote some i wrote a post a series of posts um every other day for for 14 days before the Sheffield United before the wow before the Premier League season returned summarizing uh the seven 
sort of contenders for the Champions League spots from from Arsenal in ninth to to Leicester in third. Well, what was then Arsenal? What in was ninth? then Arsenal in ninth? <laughs> um, and Josh is is making biweekly biweekly videos. Yeah, two two videos usually a week, just analyzing a topic of my choice on the Instagram. I mean. I'm sure if you're listening to this that you've probably checked it out at some point or you've at least seen it in your feed. Um, but yeah, that, that's about what I'm doing right now. This this podcast and those videos. Yeah, so that's on the official Hurry Up, um, the, the official Hurry Up FC Instagram, and then the official Hurry Up is our affiliate um, right. covers NFL and, and, and NBA podcasts. Also, be sure to take to check out the Hurry Up podcast, which is new. Um, the first episode was filmed uh, last weekend, and we got it out uh, just yesterday, I believe. So if you're hearing this tomorrow, tomorrow will be Tuesday. Yesterday being Sunday, that it came out. I'm really happy about that. It's, it's decently long, but there are timestamps. So feel free to check that out. And both on that podcast and this podcast, The Technical Area, thank you so much for... For listening, you can share, depending on the, the the platform that you're listening to, on share, rate, review, like, all those stuff. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for, for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.